Well, good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. I need to do just a little bit of church family business before we launch into today's message. Um, a bit of sad news that perhaps most of you already know about, but for those who don't know, uh, a dear young girl in our church, Jessica Hins, who's fought cancer the past couple of years, died last week. And uh, her memorial will be this Tuesday. The family wants to thank you for the ways you've prayed uh, for Jessica these past couple of years and cared for them through it all. Our church family has been great for them, and their family extends thanks to you. She is welcomed into the hands, welcomed into the good arms of Jesus, whom she is with right now, and we, we trust that. One other quick update. Today is obviously a family worship Sunday. We have a number of kids here over the age of three, kind of the older preschoolers and middle or older preschoolers and elementary school kids are here with us for family worship service. And that's a Sunday when we invite families to come worship together and we don't have most of our e-free kids classes. But it's a good opportunity for me to remind that next week we start our regular e-free kids class throughout the summer. And that's a time in the summer that we like to give our teachers and helpers a break. They serve so faithfully between September and May each year. And so we like to give our teachers and helpers a break during the summer months so they can be refreshed as they take over their classrooms again in the fall. And so we're asking you if you would consider, perhaps even today, you would make a decision to use that communication card on the edge of your handout and let us know that you would help out. We need another five, ten volunteers to assist in preschool classes and elementary school classes. You could serve in either of those as a teacher or as a helper. At 9.15 or 11 o'clock, you could do it every week this summer. That would be preferable. Or you could do it every other week this summer if that's all your schedule allows. But I think we want to continue to move toward becoming the kind of church that we all have a worship service that we attend in some other place, be it on Sunday morning or another place during the week, that we are giving of ourselves. And a great place, a great way to do that is our children's ministries as we seek to raise up the next generation of Christ followers and perhaps missionaries, different leaders, right out of this church family as we just heard in that wonderful testimony. So I'd encourage you to consider that. If you go through this exit door as you leave today, we'll have someone at the children's ministry kiosk if you would commit to serving there. Every other week or every week throughout the summer in one of those classes, that would be a great assistance to Pastor Kent Sunberg and Lindsay Denny and uh, Holly French. They are our children's ministry staff team. They do an exceptional job, and they will make it easy for you as you serve, but it will be meaningful. Easy, but extraordinarily meaningful, and a great way for you to go on mission right here within our church walls. So would you please consider that? Now's the time to nod your head. Okay, a few head nods, please. Would you please consider it and even pray for it? We'd sure appreciate it. Well, Romans 8 is what we've been in the past five or six weeks. Romans 7 is what we started off with, and we've referred to that on a number of occasions as we've gone through Romans 8. Five weeks, really, pretty solid in Romans 8. And uh, Romans 8 has been called kind of the Mount Everest of the Himalayas of the scriptural peaks. It really is that. It's such a beautiful chapter of Scripture. There's so much to say to us, so many wonderful promises, so many great assurances 
that are given to us that we have titled this series, which we conclude today, This Changes Everything. We believe that the death of Christ vicariously for our sins and the resurrection of Christ by which he defeated death and justified our belief in him, those two central events from that Passion Weekend have the power to change everything in our lives. Today we're going to be in Romans 8, verse 1, and verses 28 through 38 as we conclude our study. You can turn there with me now if you'd like, but I'm just going to share this word with you. There is now no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he would be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died, and even more, was raised from the grave and is seated at the right hand of God, where he is now interceding for us as well. What then shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, my friends, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? This is the gospel. In a nutshell, this is the gospel for us. And if you're here today and you're not really sure what Christianity is all about, you're going to hear it. If you're here today and someone kind of brought you here, and you say, I'm curious, I'd like to ask a few questions. You've come on a good Sunday. If you're here today and you're living under the weight of condemnation, even after you've become a follower of Christ, well, you've come on a good Sunday. Because we're going to look at the 101 of gospel truth. Why all this talk of condemnation and separation from God? It's because, first, we were rightly condemned in our rebellion from God. Friends, we were rightly condemned in our rebellion from God. One of our core values here at Carnegie Free is the gospel. 
And the gospel is good news. It's not good religion. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts, not a bunch of rules first and foremost. It's not a bunch of rules. It's the good news. And the good news of the gospel does include some bad news, but many people have begun with the bad news, and the truth is the good news begins with good news. You following me? And the good news is this. God loves you. And so he created you in the likeness of his image. God made the entire world. He made the entire earth and the heavens, and he said it was good. And then he made man and woman in his image, and he said it was very good. That, that humanity, that you and me, that the first couple and every other individual thereafter are made in the image of God as the pinnacle of his creation. He pays us the greatest compliment by making us in his image. And not only so, he says that he, he has intricately uh, woven us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. This is the good news, the beginning of the story. But then what happened? Then what happened? If you know the book of Genesis, if you know the first part of our story, the very root of our issue, the reason that we have condemnation, the reason that we have a problem is because of the initial rebellion of our ancestors. That God made these boundaries on where they were to walk and where they were to not walk. And they stepped outside of those boundaries into rebellion. And so, as they say, Houston, we got a problem. And it wasn't just them. That was then the next sin and the next sin and then our sin as well. It would be convenient for, for us to say, well, we wouldn't have done that. But I hope you know better about yourself. That you would have done it. Just like I would have done it. Okay? The bad news of the gospel is all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And that includes all of us. All means all. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's standards. You think about how we seek to live according to our own standards, to live up to our own expectations of proper thought and behavior and speech. And do we do even that? We don't even do that, let alone the much higher standards of God. And so the penalty of that, the penalty of rebellion against a just, holy, loving, and pure God who was unwilling to look at or have fellowship with sin, with rebellion, with darkness, the penalty for that is death. So Romans goes on to say the wages of sin is, how does it go? Death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is a wage? Talk back with me. We have a smaller attendance on Memorial Day weekend. Please talk back with me. What is a wage? What is it? Something you earn. I heard over here. Payment. It's something we deserve for what we have done. Right? And so a wage in this case, the wage of our sin, what we have earned as a response of our rebellion from our maker, because we kind of copied Frank Sinatra's most famous song, I'm going to do it my way. Okay, because of that, the wage is you earn death. You do not get life with God if you choose to do it your way, if you choose to rebel from your maker. And St. Augustine put it so well in the third century, this early church father, this great mountain of a man, he said, as a result of our sin, we have this God-shaped void in our hearts. 
this God-shaped hole in us that, that God has made us for himself, but our hearts will always be restless until we find our rest in him. And I'm sure you've experienced that as I have too, that before I found my rest in Christ, I looked for any possible thing that could somehow fill this hole, but no luck. So what do we do with this? Well, we need this gracious gift of God through Christ for time and for eternity. Now, this is the bad news again, so I must say, outside that free gift, we are still guilty. And if we're living today outside of the free gift of Christ's grace, the free gift of his unmerited forgiveness, we will feel guilty. And that's a right and appropriate guilt Because the frightening truth is that if we maintain that unbelief in Christ, that rebellion from our maker who loves us, who made us in his image, made us for relationship with him, then our God will ratify our free decision. You see, God is a gentleman, and he will not force his will on anyone, and so he desires all to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth, to repent, but he won't force that. And so he will ratify our free decision to rebel against him. And as a gentleman, he'll say, okay, you don't want me. You need not have me. You won't have me here on earth and you won't have me or all that is good because everything that is good has come from him. So we won't have him or all that is good for eternity. Friends, we are rightly condemned in our rebellion against our maker, we must receive the grace of Christ. Now, many of us in this room have received the grace of Christ and no longer need to live under any condemnation, but even so, if we're to be honest, we still feel condemned on a regular basis. So the second idea here is we are wrongly condemned in our dependence on God. You see, there's this evil, wicked, sinister being that many modern people want to ignore, but the Bible doesn't ignore. And his name is Satan. And this being seeks to accuse and to condemn and to prowl about like a roaring lion looking for some unsuspecting Christian whom he may devour. He's a liar and he's described in the scriptures as an accuser of the brothers and the sisters of Christ. He seeks specifically to accuse and to condemn those who have trusted in Christ. So, have you ever wrestled well with these kinds of thoughts of condemnation, that you just feel these wicked, sinister thoughts in your being that you say, I can't seem to measure up to anyone? Maybe God doesn't listen to my prayers. Maybe God has forgotten about me. I'm sure God wouldn't forgive me of that. Maybe his character isn't as good as I thought it was. Those people who said I was a nothing, they were right. I'm probably not going to amount to much of anything. I mean, have you ever wrestled with these kinds of thoughts that are just so wicked and evil? Anyone else in this room? Raise your hand if you've been there. Thank you in the back. I appreciate it. A few of you. Okay. I've wrestled with these big time. And those thoughts are so wicked, I can't believe they come only from me. Sometimes it could be that they come in part from within me and a hyperactive conscience, but I think oftentimes 
The level of ugliness that goes through our minds comes from the enemy. The battle that we wage, the fight that we have is a battle fought for the mind. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, take captive, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We've got to take captive our thoughts. A number of years ago, I was struggling with a theological issue. And uh, it was a secondary point of doctrine, but I wrestled with it a lot, and I studied it deeply. And uh, I did that because I want to get this right. I mean, if this is God's word, I want to get it right. I owe that, at the very least, to you. And I certainly owe it much more to God. If this is his word, if he breathed his life onto it, I want to get it right. But I was wrestling with the secondary point of doctrine. And there's a difference between primary doctrines essential matters and secondary non-essential matters. And this is a secondary non-essential matter. I still wanted to get right, but, but I couldn't. And I was wrestling well with this fear that what would happen to me if I don't get this precisely accurate? And as I was studying, things started to get a little bit dark for me as I couldn't find the answers though, that I was looking for. And eventually, this dark, heavy, black cloud came upon me for a number of weeks to the point of infecting my dreams and stealing my peace and waking me up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and sometimes in tears out of this deep fear that God was going to send me to hell because I didn't get this just right. Or if I didn't get it all just perfectly right, God would send me to hell. And I'd wrestle like this for a number of weeks. I had kind of lost my peace. And even worse, what was happening was it was impugning to me the character of God. Challenging in my mind, is God good? Can I rely on his kindness? Is he actually the one who says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Again, it was ruining my sleep, which you don't want to ruin. Just ask my wife. This is the work of an enemy who prowls about looking for a saint of God whom he might devour, to accuse, to condemn. Jesus says this of our enemy. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. I have come that you might have life and have it to the, to the fullest. But there is a thief, there is an enemy who comes to steal your joy and kill our hope and destroy our confidence in the goodness of God and his promises related to our security. Now, fortunately, I had a number of older Christians in my life at the time. This is 10, 11 years ago, and there's an older man who I really looked up to, and so I decided to bear my heart to him. It's one of the reasons that we always need to be in community. We always have to have other people that are speaking truth into our lives that we wouldn't go down this path and spiral down. So I sent an email to, to this gentleman who I respected very much, and he sent me a note back, which I've never misplaced, because it said this. Adrian, it sounds like you are fearing man or fearing Satan more than you are fearing God. My advice to you is this. Consider the thief on the cross. Do you think that Jesus interrogated the thief on the cross about some secondary doctrinal issues before he, pro before he promised his entrance into heaven? Is that what you think of the character of God? 
Adrian, the issue is this. What have you done with Jesus? Do you love him? Have you received his free gift of forgiveness? If you have, then you are a son of the Father. Don't live in fear and condemnation anymore. Lock it in and throw away the key. You belong to God. Can I get an amen? I mean, those are good words, aren't they? This is the truth that we have to remind ourselves of. When we're wrestling with these condemnations fall from the enemy, lock it in and throw away the key if you've given your life to Christ, if he's forgiven you. You belong to God. You see, the gospel frees us from all condemnation. At one time, we were rightly condemned in our sin. And still today, many of us feel this condemnation from the enemy. But through Christ's death and resurrection, we are set free from all condemnation. This is the big idea you got to take home with you for this entire series, that through Christ's death and resurrection, this is the basic gospel truth, we are set free from every and all condemnation. It's the point of the last six weeks. Lock it away and throw away the key. God sets us free from the lies of the enemy. The chairman of our elder board is a wonderful man named Scott Porter, and he is a humble, godly, thoughtful man. And he was processing over this well with me a few weeks ago, and he recently put it this way. He said, Adrian, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus, and God hates sin so much that he sent Jesus. That is such a wonderful synopsis of the gospel. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for you. And God hates your sin individually so much that he sent Jesus for that sin. We were dying eternally in our sins and our transgressions when Jesus came down and reached his hands to us and he smothered us with a kiss of his grace. He hates sin so much. God hates sin so much that he gave his one and only son to die for us that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Those of us who come under the heavy weight of condemnation on a regular basis, those of us who are Christians in this room and regularly come under the weight of condemnation, you need to get in the habit of telling Satan to step back. You need to tell him where to go. I mean, if there is ever one, let me pause. I would never encourage profanity from this stage. Okay? Don't be sending me no emails. But if there was ever one who was deserving of your profanity, tell him to step back and go back to where he belongs because you are a son or a daughter of God Most High. And the victory is sure for those in the battle. If you're in the battle with Jesus today, you know Jesus is on your side. You know that he's paid for your sin. He's covered your rebellion. You belong to him. Then the victory is assured. For those of us who are in the battle today, I want to show you a video of a young man who came up through this church over the past few years. He just completed an internship here at Carney Ephraim, and his life has been transformed by the living God. His name is Brian Gangwish, and after finishing an internship here, he went off to Nashville where he took a church director position leading worship there, and he came from a hard scrabble past, but God came and entered in and broke through and transformed him. And the love of Christ has changed 
his everything. Take a look. I was raised in a Christian home and I've always went to church my whole life. I was kind of a, a rebel growing up. Um, I always wanted to do things my own way. I remember just hanging out with the friends that I had. They were kind of rougher crowd, I guess, is what people would say. Uh, I, I really, really liked skateboarding and skateboarding was one of my, my favorite hobbies. And there was only a, a couple kids in Gibbon that were skateboarders as well. Uh, but, but with that crowd kind of came some, some bad choices and I kind of started to get into some, I started smoking cigarettes and I started to drink and it kind of just spiraled from there. Um, I always kind of struggled, I guess, with juggling faith and friends growing up. Um, and it wasn't until I was probably around 13 or 14 is when life kind of really got hard for me. Um, around that time is when my parents decided to get a divorce. It was so hard and I just had such a hard time juggling everything that I kept I kept falling back into my sin. I kept falling back into what, what I wanted instead of asking what, what God would want for me. But I remember during my senior year, I finally just, I'd had enough. And I made the choice to stop hanging out with my friends at the time. I mean, it got to the point where it was just harder drugs were being introduced to me. I kept trying to do things by my own strength of thinking like, okay, I can, I can do this. Um, I just, I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder. And it's like when Paul talks about in Galatians about this battle of the flesh in the spirit. I just kept trying to do things by the flesh of my own strength. I can do this. I can, you know, I can, I can manage my own life on my own. I just had to keep trying harder. Um, but I wasn't really walking by the Spirit. Came to a point one night where I had some friends over and I had ended up smoking weed with them and my life was still spiraling out of control. And I remember kicking them out and I just went into my room and I just remember weeping and just crying. Crying out to God and saying, God, like I've got myself into this mess. I don't know how I got here. I don't want to be here. And I remember praying, God, if if you get me out of this circumstance, if you get me out of this situation, I will live for you forever, forever and ever, and I won't look back. And I remember I was high at the time, and then as soon as I prayed that prayer, it was like, it was gone. And I remember just like being sober and going to bed that night. I went to bed early. And the next morning I woke up early and I'd had a text from my mom and she had found a, an apartment here in Kearney and she was moving back from Texas at the time and she had mentioned to me that she had an extra room and that was completely out of the blue and I was I knew that this was an answer to prayer I knew that God was was chasing after me and he was opening a door for me and I texted my mom and I asked if I could you know move in and come see the place and she's 
thought that that would be a great idea. And so the next day I remember just choosing. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move in. And I did that. I, I'd quit the band. I'd broken up with my girlfriend at the time. And I just started to pursue Christ. I remember my girlfriend one day was asking like, what, like, what do you want? She was, I mean, she was confused because I was dragging her into this confusion and I was just as confused. And I remember telling her, I just want to live for Christ. And then I remember asking her what she wanted and she said she just wanted to live her life. And I knew that in that situation, in that moment, that I, I needed to make a choice. It was either I could live my life for myself or I could live my life for Christ. And I decided I'm gonna live for Christ and I'm not gonna look back. And, and since then, I haven't looked back because living for Christ is, it's the most fulfilling thing that someone can do. There's, there's no greater joy and there's, there's nothing that compares to it. And so since that day, I've, every single day I have to choose to follow Jesus because we, we still we're bound in our, in our sinfulness. Our, our flesh still wants to cling to what we have died to. And so every day I have to choose to, to live for Christ, to choose Him, to seek after Him, and to not go back to the old lifestyle. And Paul says if we've, if we've died to sin, then how can we still live in it? And I, I still struggle, I'm still sinful, but God's grace is so much greater. And yeah, every single day, I just try to choose Christ and not looking back. There was a time back in my prime when I was the guy who was always getting high. I was the life of the party, always sipping on McCarty's. The drinks were overflowing, but I died and started floating. I was lifeless, far from being righteous. And then a friend said, try this. I think that you would like it. He introduced me to Romans 6. that you can't die to sin and live in it. Thought that I had drowned, but Jesus came and pulled me out. Yeah. Cool story, huh? <laughs> you know, the takeaway for me from that is, what am I going to choose every day? What am I choose to live in every day? Do I choose to live in self, or do I choose to live in Christ every day? If you choose to live in Christ every day, your victory is assured. Okay, you're in the battle still, but your victory is assured. There's no promise in Scripture that once we come to Christ, the battle will be over, that things will get really, really easy for us. There's no promise like that in Scripture. Indeed, one of the great litmus tests that we can hold on to to know that we are actually in Christ is this, am I in the battle? Am I choosing to live with Christ each day? Or am I on the sidelines? And some of us in this room today are on the sidelines. You need to ask yourself, am I on the sidelines watching other Christians as I come to church? Or am I in the game, on the football field, in the game of play, seeking to follow Christ? How do I pursue you today? And this choice to live in the battle every day is one of the surefire reasons to know one of the surefire ways to know that your faith is indeed authentic. 
The battle to overcome unbelief, the battle to overcome our sin, to overcome our various temptations, to grow in holiness, demonstrates that God really has a hold on us. That's the struggle of Romans 7. Then Romans 8 says, even so, even in that battle, your victory is assured, your eternity is secure. I mean, just think in your own life about the times of your greatest growth. Have there been times when things have been all sweet and happy? Or have there been times when things have not gone the way you hoped they would? My guess is, if you're anything like me, your times of greatest growth have come when God paints a picture of your life, paints this beautiful portrait out of your life, out of the cauldron of suffering. It's out of the cauldron of suffering that God is able to produce something far more beautiful that he wouldn't be able to produce outside of the struggle. We all engage in different struggles, but out of despondency comes empathy. Out of death comes comfort. Out of disability springs up compassion. Out of the temptations of anger or lust springs perseverance and self-control. Out of the temptation of greed springs generosity. It's out of our struggles that God brings some of the most powerful transformation. We're all going to have battles of different kinds. The question is not whether we'll have a battle. It's are we leaning into Christ day in and day out as we go through that battle. Some of us are going to go through battles that last a really, really long time. And this, again, is where we need community. That other people say, yeah, I know you've been struggling this far for a long time, but God is not done with you. You're still a conqueror in him. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, Romans 8, 38. That's what Paul is saying. In the trials that we face, in the temptations that we face, in the poverty and the persecution that his first century church faced, they still were more than conquerors. And so also are we still more than conquerors. We we get used in our culture to thinking that everything's got to be happy, hunky-dory for us to be blessed. You know, because that's what we see on TV, right? That they're all happy hunky-dory. Well, can I tell you a secret? They're acting. They're just acting. It's pretend. They're not happy hunky-dory. They're actors. And oftentimes they're pretending throughout the whole of life. Friends, when we get ourselves in this place that we think everything's going to be whippity-dippity-doo, Happy, hunky-dory all the time. We we fool ourselves. And we make ourselves think that 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 is the blessed life. Whereas what the scriptures repeatedly say from Genesis to Revelation is we are to anticipate that battles and challenges are going to come our way and that is not a sign that God has withdrawn his blessing from us. Rather, we're in the battle with Christ and the victory is assured. If you're in the battle with Jesus, then listen carefully to these questions from our passage. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one that condemns us? Thank you for saying nobody, young lady. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Each and every one of these questions are written with a rhetorical um, demand of an answer of no. 
They're all written in the original Greek language in such a way that the, the answer has to be no, that no one can possibly separate you from the love of God. No one can possibly condemn you. No one can possibly bring any charge against you. What Paul's doing is bringing the full measure of his logic, the full measure of his rhetoric into uh, this letter. And he, he's kind of reflecting. You imagine him reflecting on all that God has already done in his life. And I have this picture in my mind of the Apostle Paul with his fountain pen in hand, and he's got his parchment paper, paper laid out on his study, and he's got a, a candle light next to the parchment paper, and he's, he's in a jail cell. And he's reflecting on the fact that he was a persecutor of the church. He condemned people in the church to death. He killed them. And this was a wicked man, but before he came to Christ. And then he reflects on the old rugged cross and the liquid grace of God that came down to forgive him. And then he reflects on death defeated by the resurrection of Christ. And he reflects on the sufferings of his people. And he says, my friends, can famine or sword or nakedness or danger or persecution or trial or tribulation, can any of these separate you from the love of God? Absolutely not. Hey, he's saying, please, come on. What can those things do to me if I belong to Christ? He's bought me with the price of his blood. I've been justified. You've been justified by him. I'd encourage you, if you're marking up your Bible with me, go to verse 30 and underline the word justified. Go to verse 33 and underline the word justified a second time. This means that you are forgiven. And even more, your sin is not held against you. And even more, God doesn't look at your previous failures. And even more, he calls you a saint, his son or daughter. Ephraim, do not miss these truths. If you are in Christ, your life for all of eternity is secure in him. You can be confident that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will hold on to you. It's not your holding on to him that makes your eternity secure. It's those nail-scarred hands holding on to you that makes your eternity secure. That's justification. Justification is the promise that one day you're going to go to heaven. And when you do, there's not going to be a spiral notebook with your name on it with a list of sins as long as a football field. That's already been taken away. There's not going to be any list of Brian's old sins, any list of his rebellion, any list of his drug abuse. There will be no list. There will be no record at all. It means that when you get to heaven and Satan wants to holler and scream about all of your previous sins and continue to condemn you, Jesus will turn back and look at this file cabinet and look for a, a file folder with your name on it, and then he'll turn to the enemy and say, get back to hell because there's no record against him at all. This is the truth of the gospel. You can have confidence in the scarred hands of Jesus to hold you through whatever suffering you might be going through today. You rest in him. We rest in him each and every day. That's how we gain life in the full. It's to live out of the gospel, to live from the gospel, not to live for God's approval, but from God's approval. And then we experience more and more his eternal life. 
I encourage us to be in the scriptures for 10 or 15 minutes every day, reading at least one chapter of the scriptures and praying through it each and every day because it's as we lean in to the loving God, it's as we enter into the divine presence of God that we are transformed. There is no experience more powerful in this world for transforming us than the presence of God's love. To sit in God's love for a few moments each day is what frees us from condemnation. I wonder if you've ever been asked the question, why did Jesus have to go all the way to the cross to die? I mean, why did God have to use Jesus to do it? I've been asked that question. I've thought that question. Why did he have to go to that suffering, to that extent of, of pain? Why did Christ have to endure the passion? Well, it's all summarized here in Romans 8. It begins with this word of condemnation. There is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And it ends at the end of Romans 8 with the promise of no separation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, aren't we? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced, and I pray that you are convinced, that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why did Jesus do it? Why did he endure the passion? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. There's no separation for those who belong to Christ. There is no condemnation that could ever be brought against you. The work of redemption that was begun on Good Friday and Easter Sunday is now continuing in you. And I promise you this, God will finish the good work that he started because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that to make it through this sin-stained and lost world, I need your love every day. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have lifted such a weight from my shoulders when you forgave me of my sins and you declared me a child of God. Father God, I'm very aware of my past sins. I'm very aware of my past rebellion. And to think that you don't hold those sins against me, indeed, you don't even look at them any longer but you've canceled them by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you've justified my free belief in you by the resurrection of Christ. 
thank you does not do justice to express my gratitude that you freed me from condemnation that was rightly mine. Father, I pray for my friends here in this room that are under the heavy weight of condemnation from an enemy that they need not listen to anymore. Free them from it. Let them know that they are sons and daughters of God. That what God says about them is what is true. Not their internal tapes. Not the lies of the enemy. We refuse him in the name of Jesus. I pray as well for any here who have not received the forgiveness of God. That perhaps at this very moment you would look upon the cross and imagine the outstretched hands of Christ taking on those nails, taking on your sin in order to offer you forgiveness in its place. God, you're able to justify the entire world. Indeed, your word says you are not longing that any would perish, but all would repent and come to eternal salvation in Jesus Christ alone. So maybe you're in the spot today that you've only had a set faith. You've only had your mom and dad's faith. You've been like Brian was, someone who went to church for a long, long time, but you never actually bent your knee to Christ. Well, don't miss the fact that maybe right now, maybe at this moment, the Holy Spirit has ordained this time to invite you into God's family. Don't wait another day. Say yes to the one who frees you from condemnation. Say yes to the one who eliminates all separation between you and Christ who loves you. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can sing of that. Thank you that you're in the business of changing us, of conforming us to the likeness of your Son. We all admit that we're not there yet, but we're so thankful that you've begun a work in us. You're not going to quit until you've completed it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you with one voice.